From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for uh, Wednesday, July 14th, the day before the start of the 149th Open Championship. Uh, joined by Ryan, uh, Ryan Ballinger from the Golf News Net. Hello, Ryan. Welcome back. Hey, Jeremy. How are you? I am fine. Nice to speak with you today. I am well. Um, I'm going to look at this in, in two parts, one of which is the situation we're in, and, and, and the other is um, the, the, the actual players who are competing this week. Um, I have said from the beginning of when the RNA put out their rules for this week and how strict these protocols are, that, and, 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 and by the way, folks, this is not a political discussion. This is not a right versus wrong. This is just evaluating what the RNA put out and its potential impact on a golf tournament. And the biggest takeaway that I had, Ryan, and I think Martin Slumbers echoed that this morning, the, uh, the uh, um, head of the RNA, that if somebody makes a wrong step, we could get the leader of the golf tournament DQ'd. We could get somebody pulled off the golf course in the middle of a round if if information comes to light. This is going to be really incumbent on these players to, for one week, if they want to win this golf tournament, really abide by every single precaution that's in place. But I would not be surprised if, unfortunately, what we saw with John Rahm at, 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 John Rahm at, at the memorial resurfaces. And I'm not saying it's him, but I'm saying I could totally see that situation happening. What's your thoughts as we sit here on Wednesday looking at these protocols and looking at what, uh, at what Martin uh, uh, said this morning? It's certainly a possibility. I mean, obviously the RNA is uh, operating a, on a slightly different set of circumstances here than the PGA Tour in the United States where uh, a lot of states have relaxed their rules and the CDC is giving guidance that they can not effectively operate like normal but got pretty close uh, for those that are vaccinated and, and those that have, uh, have been following those protocols and done their part public health-wise. Um, you know, a number of players, I mean, 17 have withdrawn from this tournament for, for a myriad of reasons, whether they didn't want to deal with the restrictions or they tested positive even though they were vaccinated or um, other reasons. I, so I, I think there is a situation where, yeah, someone could get approached on the golf course and be told they've got to walk off. Hopefully it's not a ROM-like situation where it was practically guaranteed he was going to win the golf tournament the next day uh, and then loses out on that opportunity because this is, you know, no offense to the memorial, but a different level of, of championship than that. Uh, but it's possible. I mean, hopefully it doesn't come to that, but it's, it's certainly plausible at this point. Yeah, I hope so. I, um, I hope that it doesn't happen. Um, and then the other situation is that we look at the fans, 32,000 fans. And this is not a discussion about should they be there or should they not be there. But for me, Ryan, I asked this to Jim Nance on the PGA Championship um, conference call. I said, do you think it's a coincidence? And this was, you know, obviously pre what Phil did and everybody flocking the fairway. But what, you know, the fact that Justin Thomas wanted the players and, and Rory won in, in Charlotte and the fact that they had two of the biggest crowds, actually the two biggest crowds up to that point, that it happened on the PGA Tour. And, and, and he and Dottie Pepper said, no, I, I think you're completely on it. I, I think you've nailed your thesis. Um, 
So here we are, the biggest crowd since. Now, we've been in a stretch of PGA Tour golf where we've had some fluky winners, some wild finishes, and a whole lot of fans. We're not in the exact same boat, but we're going from basically 10K in most of these cities um, and tournaments to 32K a day. Um, do you think this plays into the vets' hands who have always said that except if you're paired with Tiger or in that group ahead of Tiger, that they may have an advantage because they play under that kind of a cauldron so so often. Potentially. I mean, I, I feel like you're, the, the idea that better players who have larger crowds more frequently or did pre-pandemic would better be able to feed off of them and almost build a reliance on feeding off of them uh, that they were not able to use during the crowdless tournaments in the, in the peak months of the pandemic. I think that's very accurate. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Rory has said as much, JT has said as much. I, I think it was very evident that Phil knew how to, to work a crowd in his favor at the PGA Championship once he got into the position that he got into to win it. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, he did it purposely to Brooks' detriment because he knew Brooks wasn't playing his best, so he ratcheted it up a little bit. Um, I think it's a little different with a, a a British crowd than an American crowd. Uh, they're a little bit more polite. They're not quite as rowdy, seemingly, as an American crowd could get, particularly the one at was. So I don't know if it's that dramatic of an advantage, maybe compared to what Phil experienced at the PGA or uh, McElroy in Charlotte, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do feel like a top player will feel more comfortable come Sunday than someone who has not been there before in a major championship situation with fans. Uh, but that's all to say that, I mean, if you look at the leaderboard for the U.S. Open, and they had fans, they didn't have like 30,000 a day, but they had fans. And think about the players who were on top of that leaderboard. Rom performed well in front of crowds, but hadn't won a major in front of one. Uh, Morikawa won a major without a crowd. Scotty Scheffler is not won a major yet. Uh, still just looking through to, to break through as a, uh, a PGA Tour stud on any kind of big stage. So, and he's played well in the last two majors with crowds. So I don't necessarily think that the difference between winning and losing is a crowd, but I don't think it hurts the top players who will have a lot more people pulling for them because of name recognition if they get into that situation. Ryan Ballinger with us uh, here on, on Teeing It Up. Um, Royal St. George's, uh, quirky golf course, a lot of mounding. Um, you get some really funky bounces. The site of Ben Curtis's win in 03, the site of Darren Clark's win in 2011. Um, your thoughts on what you think we'll see this week, especially with a forecast and... We know what it's like over there in terms of accurate weather forecasts, but a forecast that for days now has been consistently dry, 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 dry for all the tournament days. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best case scenario for Royal St. George's to defend itself. And this golf course relies very heavily on its topography, funky bounces, and being dry. I mean, that's, that's the only way this course really is hard. Uh, otherwise, you can kind of play it through the air and uh, take it apart a little bit, I think. So 
that's good for the golf course, good for the championship. I think it opens up the door to more players. I think Lee Westwood said today or yesterday it's, it's very hard to see someone overpowering this golf course playing dry because you can you open up a whole lot more acreage hitting it far than keeping it in play. And I think that's the right idea. So I, I think for someone like a Bryson who maybe was thinking I can just bang it all around, he may have to reassess that strategy a little bit or they'll try to employ it and maybe it won't work as well. Um, I do think that there's an advantage with it being dry and potentially pretty windy each day toward older players. And if you look at the average winning age of the four majors the last ten times they were played, the Open is by far the oldest. It's not even close, like four or five years difference between the, that and the second oldest major winner, which I believe is the PGA Championship. But um, either way, I mean, the, the, the Open stands out for that reason. Then throw in what we saw at the PGA Championship, where even on a really long golf course, a long American length style golf course, two, two of the guys in the top five were over 50, including the winner. And that's because they know how to play golf in those conditions and not get razzled when the power game doesn't work anymore. And I think that opens the door to either young guns who feel comfortable in the wind, think John Rahm, or some older guys who can just kind of bang it around and distance won't be a factor for them because the ground game will, will give them the extra yards that they need to compete. Yeah. Um, it could play into the hands, uh, definitely, of the older players. And, and you do speak to the guys on that leaderboard, on that final leaderboard, uh, Darren Clark, Young, Phil, DJ, Tomas Bjorn, Chad Campbell, Anthony Kim, Ricky Fowler. Um, Anthony Kim finished fifth. Now he's who knows where. Um, the... The mythical legend that is Anthony Kim, um, who took over this game in a really short amount of time and will be social media fodder forever. Um, Ryan Ballinger with us here on Teeing It Up. John Rahm wins the U.S. Open. He bounces back from what happened at Nearfield Village. Um, and then he plays really well last week. Uh, puts himself into contention at the Irish Open, you look at, sorry, the um, Scottish Open, you look at what Matt Fitzpatrick did last week, you look at what Ian Poulter did last week, do you give credence to the guys who played well last week, and if so, who specifically? I do, I mean, not inherently, not just because they played well, but I, I mean, Matt Fitzpatrick has played great golf the last year and a half, has showed up in a bunch of different places. Uh, on big in big tournaments, so I like his chances. Um, Brian Palmer, I didn't even know he was playing the Scottish Open. I tweeted about that. He finished T four, um, and his game lines up really well. I mean, he's been playing great golf, but his game lines up really well with an Open where you're forced to play lower and on the ground. Uh, I love his chances. Ian Poulter has suddenly realized it is a Ryder Cup year. Um, and maybe he would like to make the team one point. He played great. Uh, and he can keep it nice and low. Um, obviously, JT played pretty well. Uh, not the best, but well. And after kind of the dud he threw up at the U.S. Open, I, I feel like he's properly motivated. Um, 
But on the other hand, I, I feel like Rory McIlroy is carrying himself like a guy who feels like he's got it. He's got it figured out, even though he emceed last week. So I don't necessarily think that just because you played well in the Scottish Open automatically means you're going to play well uh, at Royal St. George's this week. But the topography is completely different. It's a modern-style links versus a truly old-school links. Uh, they're different golf courses in substantial ways. Um, but it doesn't hurt to have that experience beforehand and feel like you're acclimated to this style of golf. I'm currently scrolling through Ryan Palmer's uh, world ranking, and I can't even find the last time he played a uh, European Tour event. Probably felt awkward for him asking for the release form from the PGA Tour because yeah. he probably didn't even know how to find it, where to download it, where to do anything from it. Um, Ryan Bounge with us here on Teeing It Up. By the way, if anybody's hearing a uh, clicking noise, that's on my end, so I apologize uh, for that. 2015, he played the Scottish Open and tied for 31st. That's the last time he uh, played a European Tour event, Ryan. So, it's been a while for Ryan Palmer. Um, you know, DJ's number one in the world right now on a quirky math thing. But I, what, what I find interesting about DJ is um, he has a way of turning it on out of nowhere. And... Um, that seems to be uh, what he's needing right now because he's not been himself. And if you look at the top five, sorry, top six players in the world, DJ, you know he can figure out what to do somewhere because he and his brother seem to have a plan. Ron, we've talked about. JT played better last week. Morikawa has been trying to get his putter in order. Um, also said he was having ball striking issues off turf this week, which is interesting for such a great ball striker, but we'll see. He's never really played over on that side of the pond. Xander, who we've talked about, and then Bryson, who I think, you know, it's a grand experiment as to how his game's going to translate here. Plus, you got to wonder if the British fans will be kind to him or if he'll get any Brooksies uh, yelled out at him um, from somebody who's had a little too many beverages. But DJ's the interesting one for me, Ryan, um, because he should be playing better than this. Um, and his recent finishes, his mysterious WDs, yes, he was 10th at Congaree, 19th at the U.S. Open, 25th at Hartford, 13th at Harbortown, hasn't won since Saudi Arabia, hasn't won on the PGA Tour since the Masters last November. He's also had some really weak Sundays, which is very un-DJ-like. You, you, you usually expect leaderboard gravity out of young guys, and instead it was Garrick Higo who got that win at Congaree and not DJ. Um, he's the one that fell backwards. He's the one that fell backwards at the U.S. Open when Ron got his first major. What's your read on DJ right now? Well, I think we can tell statistically that he's not driving the ball very well, and that's what's holding him back. I, mean, I think everything else together, he's playing with one, basically one hand tied behind his back because he can't drive it as well as he would like. And he's producing otherwise solid finishes that most PGA Tour players would be thrilled to have yes. this week. Uh, and we have to keep that to some perspective. I actually think that helps him this week because he doesn't need driver to get around for the most part. Uh, he can get around this golf course with irons and fairway, you know, whatever he chooses to come off the tee with. I'm thinking 
looks like utility iron off the tee for him, perhaps. So if he feels comfortable doing that, it eliminates one of the problems in his game at the moment. Um, that's a good thing. So I think that's... Uh, uh, someone turned to me uh, the other day, a, a buy-low opportunity on Dustin Johnson, who is 20-1. to 1. And when's the last time you saw DJ in the 20s before an open championship in terms of betting odds. So, um, I just think that this sport, this should work in his favor if he doesn't have to hit driver off the tee as much. Um, and he'll eventually figure that out. He'll work that out with uh, Butcher Claude or whoever he feels like working with these days. And it'll, it'll get itself sorted out. But for now, I think this actually works in his favor. Uh, Ryan Boundy with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, the guy I don't like, I've, I've said it already, is, is Bryson. Who don't you like this week? Bryson. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think he has a proper game plan for win. His entire golf thesis is built around putting the ball as high in the air as almost humanly possible, especially off the tee. So if it starts blowing 25, what are you going to do? I, I don't I don't know how he answers that question. And I don't think he can evade it for four straight days. And there's also, I think, the what works for him, particularly in the U.S. Open, is that there is deep rough. The rough is thick and stops the ball. But at the British Open, the Open, it doesn't. There's, I mean, there's, if it's thick, it's really thick, like... Two feet deep, good luck finding it thick. Not gash it out and get up to the front of the green thick. Um, if it's short of that, then it's going to bounce all over the place and either put him in awkward positions or tough angles or weird lies. And I, I don't think he's built for that. So I think he has no prayer this week. Yeah, I'm with you wholeheartedly on that. Um, all right, guys we like... And the proverbial little under-the-radar uh, sleeper. I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it until he wins one of these, and that's Xander, 18-1 um, to odds, somewhere around there. Um, by the way, just, just top five, according to the uh, Jimmy Shapiro over at Bet Online. Rom, Kepka, Spieth, Shawfley, JT, DJ. Um, I th- I th- I th- I think Jordan's gonna have a good week too, but I I like Xander and the guy that I think could really fly under the radar is John Catlin. But on the European tour for a while, successful, got in late, and we always see somebody who gets in late, flies under the radar, and really shows up. Uh, it, you know, first couple days, winds up with a T twenty five or something. And I think because of how quirky Royal St. George's is, it could lead to somebody like a John Catlin being there come the end of the week. What's your uh, thoughts on on your end of things, Ryan? Uh, uh, Catlin is a really interesting pick. Um, I'm a big fan of his personally. And if you look at his win on this run he's been on in the European Tour, at least two of them, maybe all three of them, but at least two of them have been in brutal playing condition. When he won the Austrian Open... It was like sleeting and 30 degrees outside. Yeah. He won in Valderrama. It was blowing 25 at a golf course whose corridors are 17 yards wide. So 
if you want someone who can buckle down and figure out how to score that's a long shot, there's your boy. I mean, that's John Catlin right there. So I, I think that's a great, great call. I, I think that the, somehow Colin Morikawa is under the radar. I, I don't understand that. He's the best ball striker on the PGA Tour, period. And the last time he said he couldn't figure it out was at concession, where he thought he had a hard time figuring out how to chip on Bermuda, and he won. So when he's saying he's had a hard time striking the ball, I don't feel sorry for him, and I think that's relative to what his normal is, which is perfect versus slightly less than perfect. And for him, I think it is actually a matter of figuring out, just kind of leaning into the shots a little bit better, and he'll figure that out, and he'll be fine. Uh, and I actually think the slow green will help someone like Morikawa or Shockley, for that matter, because they're poor putters at big speeds. So they get scared over two, three, four footers. Well, you can just bang them in the hole here this week because you have no choice. They're going to run 10 on the stint meter at most. So I, I think that that actually works in their favor. And then Scotty Scheffler. Um, people sleep on Scotty Scheffler because he doesn't close out, but he's been in the top 12 in the last two major championships. And he continues to show up against these big fields. And I don't know how you can't at least have some piece of Louis Eustace, who's been runner-up in the last two majors. Uh, he may be destining himself for an Ernie-type slam, you know, where he gets runner-up in three of the four, but uh, or four out of four. But it, it, I, I think he still finds a way to show up in this tournament and play really, really well. We shall see how it will play out starting tonight at 1.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Peacock, moving the Golf Channel at 4 in the morning Eastern Time. Ryan Ballinger from the Golf News Net, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.